hours last week to get in on the teaching. I was out. I was here two weeks in a row, but I had meetings that were people that I could not meet with at any other time other than during the service. So it took me away. In the purple book, we've been in uh, the last, in chapter number 10. I'm not, I'm going to, I want to be there tonight. I, I want to add an addendum to uh, the teaching because we've been talking about financial you know, biblical finances, if you would. There's, you know, kind of a broad application of it. I left my book at home because there's no fifth chapter. And I made my own chapter, so I didn't bring it with me tonight. But, you know, we did talk about these, you know, we talked about uh, g- extreme generosity. We, we talked about first fruits or, or putting God first and uh, some of the principles that kind of lead to tithing in the church and, and perhaps a little bit of the, the knowledge behind it. But I just wanted to kind of jump into it because, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I want to say this very respectfully. Money is a precious thing, right? And I don't mean the love of money is the root of all evil, but your money is a value to you. You've worked hard for it, Amen. right? Whether you've worked hard or whether it has worked on your behalf, at the end of the day, um, it was a resource that God committed unto you, and you have used it, and hopefully you are using it for the glory of God and for the good of your family and for the good of others. And uh, at the same time, it is possible for churches to uh, misuse resources, misappropriate resources, correct? We've seen this in the national scene, with uh, especially with major ministries that sometimes come under scrutiny for their supposed and sometimes factual mishandling of resources, right? And, and sometimes when you see something like that, the church has been rocked by certain, you know, when, when things go national, there's a reverberation that takes place with that um, negativity that's created. The Assemblies of God suffered many years ago in the 80s when the Jimmy Swagger era kind of, that, that thing morphed and, and blew up. Well, that was in conjunction with the Jim Baker scandal. And then you had the Robert Tilton scandal. And you have a lot of these mega ministries that come under scrutiny um, many times because of the, again, the excesses or the perceived excesses of the televangelists. And so what that happens, the reverberation of that is, it causes some people to be very cautious in their giving to the degree that people learn to distrust the church. And, and, and I want to kind of combat that a little bit if we can. I want us to have a value. And when we, you know, every, giving in the church and giving to the church has always been a part of the church. And you know what? It's always going to be a part of the church. And if it makes you nervous, you know, I'm going to tell you, you better go ahead and face this and come to some type of conclusion in your heart and mind or you're going to always be bothered by it. Because as far as I know, I have never been to a fellowship, a church facility, or whatever, uh, where there's not been either an offering container. Maybe they didn't give it the, 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 full, the attention that some churches do, but there's always been an opportunity for somebody to be able to give. One of the scriptures that we talked about in this journey was in 2 Corinthians 9. Paul said, uh, as you purpose in your heart, you have to arrive at a conclusion that I'm doing this motivated by faith. Not motivated by fear. Not made it motivated by intimidation. Not motivated by coercion. Not being manipulated in my mind by false teaching. But if I'm a true student of the Word of God, I'm studying the Word, I'm gleaning, 
and I'm arriving at a conclusion. So then when I give to the church, I give with the clearest conscience. I give knowing that this is the thing that I want to do. Therefore, God loves a cheerful giver. He knows your heart, right? And so I, I want to pray. So I want to go back and I want to backtrack, for, if I can, for just a little bit. You know, we talk a little bit about the tithe, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But, and I put it on the board here for us just real quickly. And, and, and most of you know what this actually means, and you can't study the Old Testament with discovering the tithe. And the tithe simply means ten, the tenth. So it's the ten percent. It's used as a model for many of us. And then there's this controversy that is waged in the raged in the church or waged in the church for 2,000 years, whether or not the church, the Christian era, should tithe. We as New Testament Christians should tithe in the, in, the, in the sense of the way the tithe was spoken of in the Old Covenant. Well, we're, we're not going to necessarily go there fully tonight, but we'll go there partially. So I want to go for a little bit, and I want to put on the board the passages of Scripture in the New Testament epistles that deal with your giving. And I want to start there. And that's going to be our starting point. And I want you to see tonight where Paul, now I'm not talking about the Gospels. And the reason why I'm going to omit the Gospels is this right here. Jesus ministered as a Jew to the Jewish community. He said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so upon his death on the cross, it is the belief that there was a major transition in God's dealing with mankind as the new covenant was established. So we're not going to go, we're not going to even looking at like Luke 6 and 38, give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. We're going to lay all that aside. We're going to go right to the New Testament epistles and we're going to just kind of journey down for just a, uh, just a little bit, put these on the board and, and say, well, all right, well, where does it start? It's going to start in the letter to the Romans. Okay? It's going to start in Romans chapter number, anybody? 15. And in Romans chapter number 15, the Apostle Paul addresses a moment of giving to who? Anybody know? I'll go ahead. If you want to turn to that passage, we can. It'll look like you are doing it anyhow, so I'll just go ahead. I didn't write down the actual verse, but we can find it very, very quickly. I wrote down some of these others, but in Romans chapter number 15, it says in verse number 25. Let's start there. But now I go to Jerusalem. To minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia. Y'all there? Romans 15, 25, and 26. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia. And this is actually the Grecian provinces. To make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. So Paul is speaking directly concerning a special offering made by the Grecian churches. Which would have consisted of both Jews and Gentiles, because almost all the churches that Paul founded were birthed through the synagogue, and it always consisted of both Jews and Gentiles, when it says the poor saints which are at Jerusalem, so the Jerusalem church, it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come unto you into Spain. So in Romans chapter number 15, we have what we would call today, what? A special 
offering, wouldn't we? Is that what we do? Like if we were saying, man, you know what? There's, a, there's a, a, some poor churches in, uh, let's just say, India and in the Assemblies of God, and, and we're going to take up a special offering today, and we're going to minister to them. So a special offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem, correct? Let's put that down. I just want you to see it because we're going to journey. We're going to kind of compile this for just a moment. And then from there, we go immediately to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 deals exclusively. I won't turn there. You can read it on your own. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 deals exclusively with ministry, financial support of ministry. So Paul first said in Romans 15 that if we, especially as the Gentiles, have been made partakers of what came through the Jewish root, we were grafted into the olive tree, correct? Right? Amen? And then it's our responsibility, he said, to minister to the poor Jewish saints, primarily Jewish in Jerusalem. Now, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul surmises the subject of giving to support ministry. And Paul plainly uses the analogy in this passage of Scripture of the Mosaic Law. And he said, Saith not the law, muzzle not the mouth of the ox who treadeth out the grain? And he said, Does it say the law for their sake or for our sake? And he even alluded to this. He said, they that wait on the altar are partakers of the altar. And here's what Paul arrived at this conclusion. He said, they that preach the gospel. And notice this. Let me go ahead and put this word down here. God has put this right here. It's ordained. You know what that means? When God ordains something, he sets it. He sets it in the church. God ordained that they that preach the gospel should do what this, look over here, live of the gospel. Now, let me tell you, for somebody that transitions from lay ministry to part-time ministry to full-time ministry, there is a journey in your heart of learning to accept that your resources are now coming from the people that you, find, that, that you minister to. There is an emotional challenge. How do I know? Because I've lived it. You know, because I worked in the secular world. I was in the uh, workforce. I was in the military for nine years. And then when there was a transition and I went into full-time ministry, I can remember the, the time when, I, when, when that paycheck had my name on it. At coming from the church, the people. Well, the church is made up by sometimes wealthy people and sometimes very poor people. And my resource is now coming from them, my livelihood. And there's an emotion. But at the same time, this is the scripture that God used to help me resolve in my heart. This is one of the scriptures, but God ordained this. I have to accept this. To, to fight against it is to fight against God. My livelihood comes, others' livelihood comes from the faithful giving of the church. Now, there's no record of how this giving was to be made. There's no record of how, when, what way, the rhythm of it. There's no record. There's nothing in all. Let me just go ahead and tell you. There's only one passage of Scripture that deals with the consistency in giving, and it, too, is dealing with a special offering. We're going to go, jump to it right now. 1 Corinthians. Let me go ahead and go back to black. Are you all out there? Is it your money important? Come on, it is. Mine is. And it came from you. If it ain't important to you, it's important to me. 
If it's not important to you, you can give me more. If you waste it, I'll take better care of it. First, that's funny. Thank you. Somebody enjoys my humor out there. First Corinthians chapter number 16 then. Once again, let's go ahead. I want to turn to that one just real quickly. First Corinthians chapter number 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So again, he's writing about an offering, a special offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem. But what we can note in this particular passage here is Paul gives instruction when to do it. On the what? On the first day of the week, right? To lay it aside. Isn't that what Paul said? Lay aside. And then he said, every one of you, didn't he? That becomes a, a, a consistent uh, principle that Paul shares in the other passage. So 1 Corinthians 16. Now let's journey here a little bit farther. 2 Corinthians, both 8 and 9. In chapter 8 and 9, it deals primarily in chapter number 8 with Paul kind of encouraging them to be willing to fulfill what they had promised. How many of you have ever, in your time of your growing and learning to give in the church? How many know that's a growth process? It's part of your journey, isn't it? And that in your process that there are times, often, not for everybody, when you mentally made a decision that you were going to give. You saw it, a spark, an emotion, a motive, something was inside you. But how many of you know that you can mentally <laughs> decide to do something and then fail to actually fulfill that obligation? So Paul, in chapter 8, is reminding them of the zeal that he noted that they had spoken of in their willingness to give. So Paul, in chapter 8, is saying, don't just have the desire to do it, let there be a continuation. Let there be a follow-through. There have been things in my heart and life that I've set goals or I've set, you know, I've said, man, I really, I plan to do this. So Paul is challenging the Corinthians in chapter number 8, don't just set the goal, don't just presume, don't just make the vow, don't just, you know, like we have in our little right here, which is um, don't make the faith promise, but actually bring what you promise correct? Come on now, are y'all hearing that? That's a good right there. I could journey there. But then in chapter number nine, we give into the principles of the giving here. So we give into great principles in giving, but now here's the key that we've got to go ahead and catch. The principles of giving that once again that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 9 are still once again dealing with a special offering. They're not dealing with the consistent giving that we see that belongs to the local church. What you and I would say belongs to the local church. Paul is exhorting the church in Corinth to prepare to minister to once again another need that's been created. Matter of fact, in chapter 8, he talks about an equality. He said previously this other group of churches were able to minister. They had resources. Now things have shifted. They're in a time of great challenge and you're going to minister to them. So Paul is giving this 
kind of back and forth, the churches are supporting one another. So when, let me go a little bit farther, and then I'm gonna, I want to come back to that passage. So don't let me forget to come back to first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, okay? So now let's jump. Can I jump over here? Can I kind of X this off because we'll come back to that? Are you all with me? I'm giving you a basis, right? I want you to know what you believe. Isn't that what discipleship is about? So let's go a little bit farther. This is a famous one, Philippians chapter number 4, right? Because in Philippians chapter 4 is verse number 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, correct? All right, and then it's preceded in verse number 13, right, which is I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me, correct? But then sometimes we take both of those out of their true context because in verse 13, Paul says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to have plenty and I also know how to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the true application in your life. Now, but verse 19 is talking about God shall supply all your need. All your need created not through excessive living, but through excessive giving. Wow, you got quiet in there on that one, didn't you? Let me say it one more time. We sometimes cry out around the altar for God to supply all our need that's been created through our excessive living when Paul made a promise from the Lord that when you give, this giving in verse number 19 that he's referencing here was giving that was what? Anybody know? It was sacrificial? Yes. Come on. What was it? Who was the end recipient of it? Say it again, Jace. Jay or Paul, not Jace. Yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs> whoa. Paul was. So in Philippians chapter four, verse number nineteen, the end recipient here is the apostle himself. Paul said concerning giving, he said, "No church communicated with me except for you." See, a lot of times there are a lot of people that get moved to give to the church. And they'll give through the church, and they'll give to benevolent needs, but oftentimes they'll overlook the very minister. I'm just being honest with you. Not our church, and that's a true statement. Not our church, but there are churches that don't see the fact that the, the minister has been ordained by God. Paul, in this passage, chose many times not to use this. Why? Why did Paul choose not to use this? He was a foundational apostle. He was preaching where Christ had not been named. He was giving time for their church to grow and learn these principles. He knew that it could cause the church, the early church, to stumble. So he said, I have not used this privilege even though I have been given this privilege. And that's why he's called a tent maker. He's seen working and laboring with his own hands. And so it was bivocational. But in this passage of Scripture here, Paul said, more than one occasion you sent and you ministered unto my need. And you know what he called it? He called it a sweet, let me go ahead, smelling sacrifice. Look at that. Isn't that good? It's a sweet, Paul said, it's a, it's a fruit that goes to your account, doesn't he? Paul uses Old Testament language. Catch that, because we're going to go there in just a minute. Paul is using Old Testament language here to tell them that, yeah, hey, it's a powerful thing for you to minister to other folks. It's a powerful thing for you to minister to the poor saints of Jerusalem and also to these other churches. But he said, somewhere along the line, I've got needs as well. 
And he said, and you were kind enough in your generosity to send a gift to me to provide for my need. Paul said, God saw it. It's a sweet-smelling sacrifice, and it's fruit. Notice this. These are the words of Philippians 4, fruit to your account. Now, you may not believe that, but I'm telling you, God keeps record. God keeps record. And when you bless, the Bible says if you give a cup of cold water in the name of a prophet, Come on, and so Paul said, if you minister right here by ministering unto me, it's a sweet smell and sacrifice. Amen? Let's go a little bit farther. Then two more, then we'll conclude that part. 1 Timothy chapter number 5. 1 Timothy chapter number 5, verses 17 and 18 say, The elders that rule well shall be counted worthy of double honor. Right? Those who labor in both word and doctrine. Verse number 19, or the next verse. 19, for once again, Paul quotes from the Old Testament an odd passage. You would think that Paul could have said, well, how about the text about the Levite or the first root? But he chose to make reference to the ox two times. He's referencing the ox that's treading out the grain, and he's encouraging Timothy. Now, remember, Timothy is uh, serving in the role of not just a local pastor, but he's over. He's like an overseer. He's an apostolic understudy of the apostle. And he's empowering the other local pastors. And he's giving charge to Timothy so that he can pass it to the bishops and the deacons that passes to the multiplicity of the churches. And he said, the the elders that rule well. So now let's put it up here. The the word elders there is the same that's translated, you know, uh, pastors or teachers or it's leaders. There's people disagree on that. But in essence, it's meaning the leaders of the church. So we'll just put the leaders once again, the leaders here, the pastors in the church. So that's the elders who rule well. He said, let them be counted worthy of double honor. And then lastly, in 2 Timothy, and this is often an overlooked one here. Matter of fact, we'll even go to this one in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 6. I want you to see that one real quickly. Here the, Paul, the apostle said, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partakers of the fruits. So once again, Paul here is referencing in 2 Timothy chapter number, what did I say that was? Chapter number 2, verse number 6, ministry support, Paul does. So now, now let me tell you, there are a few little tidbits of scripture here and there. Let me give you an example. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, let him that stole steal no more that he may labor, working with his hands that he may have to give to those who are in need. So there, there's other passages in scripture that's speaking about your own private benevolence that's not done through the church. How many know all giving cannot be contained to the church? Your giving, your resources, everything that you give is not going to be in a, in a basket. Right? I mean, I mean there are going to be opportunities that God's going to put people in your life that's going to be immediate needs that God's going to use you as a way and means to be benevolent to someone else, correct? That's not going to go through the, through the vein of the church, correct? And we have to be, and God wants us all to be givers. If that's one thing that you can come away from in these four weeks that we've studied this subject out, whether or not you and I agree exactly on how the giving should be and the means that it should be used, that may be the case. But all of us need to walk away and say it's the will of God for all of us to be givers. 
that we need to be able to minister to certain things that are immediately in front of us, and then we also need to be convinced of our doctrine as it relates to giving through the church. So let's see if we can conclude this real quickly in this sense. So here we have on the board seven passages of Scripture that are dealing with giving. As far as I know, there are no other references in the New Testament that are directly addressing giving that's being compiled through the church. Through the church, the way that it's conducted here where we have our offering containers and the way other churches have their offering containers. So we have a special offering to the poor saints. This is a church supporting the Jewish saints. Paul said, it's our responsibility as Gentiles. Did you know that you still do that to this day? Did you know that, that in our missions we don't give a lot, but did you know we support a ministry called Jacob's Hope? Jacob's Hope is an Assemblies of God missions uh, arm that's in Jerusalem this day helping the poor saints in Jerusalem. And so when you give to missions at First Assembly of God, you're doing exactly, come on, isn't that exciting? You're doing exactly what Paul said 2,000 years ago, that if we made a partaker of their spiritual things, right, that we sow. And then he said, I've ordained it. God said he's ordained it, that the elders that preach the gospel, even to this day, live of the gospel, and that you should be unashamed that God has placed men and women as our wives join us, and we don't have, well, I guess we do have some wives that are uh, ladies on pastoral staff that are in ministry support, and we receive resources, and you don't need to be bothered by that. Amen. You need to be rejoicing, and you need to pray for blessing on, on ministry. And you need to rejoice. I can tell you one thing about ministry. It's one thing that I've learned. I have yet to see a minister fail to rejoice, this is me, now you may have, fail to rejoice with someone that's received a financial gain or blessing in their life. You get a better job and, and make more money, you know what, I'm going to rejoice with you. You have a better situation, I'm going to rejoice with you. But I will say this, I have seen some folks in the church look down on preachers. Can I be honest in here tonight? I'm wearing a red shirt, that makes me an easy target. Must mean I'm not afraid of what I'm teaching. Right? Because I have seen people in the church look down if God blesses the church or blesses the pastor through the church. Now, again, let me say this. There's always an excessive. There's always an extravagant. There's always somebody that takes disadvantage or takes advantage of and creates excess and brings, disharm, you know, brings harm to the body. But I'm telling you, I thank God that I've been a part of a church where there's a good balance that God has used the giving. So note this, note this. So then we have the giving on the first day. So you say, well, Pastor, well, then how do we take all of that that's here through Paul's teaching and arrive at the way and the means in which we do it today? Can I erase this? Is that fair to do? I mean, so Paul is writing to him. So did you notice that there is no record in all of the New Testament that outlines explicitly exactly how you're to give? Did y'all know that? Now, in the Old Covenant, it was much more explicit, much more instructional. Now, here's the thing. Just because we're under the New Covenant, does that mean that we forsake all the teaching of the Old? No. You say, well, Pastor, validate it. Paul himself saith not the law. Paul's giving New Testament theology, and he references an Old Testament principle or commandment in order to validate his New Testament principle. Does that make sense? 
So let's go ahead and jump in real quickly. Now, we're familiar with this one, right? We're going to go somewhere. We're going to get to the end in just a minute. I like this. I want, you know, why, why do I like this? Because I believe you are empowered when you have knowledge of why you do something and you see the end of it and you see the value of it. Correct? So, because uh, don't forget, now I want to put a verse of scripture, I got to put it right here. I got to go back to this one in a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I got to go back to a passage of scripture on that in just a moment. Well, in the tithe, though, we know what the tithe was to ancient Israel, don't we? As a whole, what was the tithe? It was 10% of what? No. No, it's a separation. The first fruits is different from the tithe. So we're going to start with just the tithe, though. Just the tithe. 10% of all thine increase, right? So it was of the field. The Bible plainly says it was of the field, right? It was uh, of the tree, fruit of the tree, and it was animal. All of that. So that was the tithe. And it was brought to who? Who received the tithe? No. <laughs> the Levite, right? The Levite, right? The Levites received the tithe. Who were the Levites? No. <laughs> That's why we're here. We're here to learn. So don't be offended if I say no. Right? You had Aaron. Aaron and his sons were the priests. Correct? And then you had the Levites who were given as servants to who? To the priests. And so the Levite received the tithe. And the tithe was used for what? You know, obviously, God, I have failed all these years. <laughs> That's right. It was, given for, it, was this, it was for this right here. It was for ministry support, correct? Because the Levites served the tabernacle, so the, it was for ministry support, but it was also for who? The widow and the stranger. The Bible plainly says that it was for the widow, the stranger, and the Levite. But it was not given directly to the widow and the stranger. It was brought to the Levite. And then the Levite would help distribute it to the poor in the community. But, notice this real quickly. There was a tithe. So the Levite, the tithe went to the Levite. But there was a tithe of the tithe. And it was called the heave offering. And the heave offering was given to who? I know you say, I don't want to answer, Pastor. You keep telling me no. There it goes. It was given to the priest. And it said, the Bible says, it's given to the, the priest because now the Levite gets the tithe. Did y'all see that? So the Levite, why, why is this important? But see, the Levite had no land given to him in the inheritance. He was dependent. His livelihood was dependent upon the faithful giving of the people. And so... That's why when there was people failed to bring the tithe, then the house of God was neglected, just like it is today, right? When people fail to give, then the house of, of God is neglected. And so, but the Levite, God said, I want the Levite to give a tithe. So the Levite took the best of what they received, the best of the oil, the best of the wine, the best of the animals, the best of the grain, and they gave it to the priest as a heave offering, and it belonged, that was now the priest income and support and resource that was given to him. Well, let me give you an example of how we're doing that in today's time. So you give your tithe and offering to this church family. 
from this, I draw a salary and an income. And so from that, I have a tithe. I'm required to tithe by the assemblies of God. Now, you can go, well, man, man, I don't know. if I, No, I'll go to jail. <laughs> no, I won't, but I can lose my ordination in the assemblies of God. If I did not validate that I was faith every year, I sign a piece of paper saying I have faithfully honored the district. So I send 75% of my tithe to the Arkansas district to support the Arkansas district of the assemblies of God. Now, why does that, is there any function in that that's even drawn biblically? Well, think about just a moment. We elect a leader in the Arkansas district called Larry Moore. Everybody remembers when Brother Larry Moore preached here? He was a powerful man of God, wasn't he? So I get excited to know that you bring your tithe. My income is coming from it. I send a portion of mine to the district office, and I'm helping pay Pastor Moore's salary to be the leader of the Arkansas district. So it's a little snapshot not exactly, not to the, to the T exactly, but it's a little bit of what was happening in those days when the Levite took his support, gave it to the priest as the heave offering, and the priest then, that was support for him and his family. Now, there's another offering that y'all been jumping all over to, meant to speak of, and it's called the first fruit. <laughs> the first fruits. And the first fruits of the land... And this was of the land and of the animals. And God said, you can't even redeem it. you got to give the best. You give the best of the first fruits. And that's what Jace was teaching on. Jace didn't go into the detail of the law. He took the principle about giving to God first. I've watched people, the first fruit offering, God said, bring it to me first. You know, that's a powerful principle, isn't it? I mean, that's a learning principle, isn't it? Do you have to learn to trust God? Do you feel giving? Do you feel it? Do you give till you don't feel it? Or, do, or, I mean, do you not feel it? I feel it. When I give, don't you? Right, Sister Karen? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about that one privately, Sister Karen, all right? <laughs> That's a tough one right there. And I know some of you are hot in here. We turned the fan on and not the AC. Do you want AC? We're getting close to conclude. How much time is it left today? 740, I don't have a long time left, but I got a couple other things I want to surmise. I want to, I want to combine this here in a moment, and I want to show you something, right? So, so think with me for just a moment real quickly. So this was the Old Testament practice. I first took you into the New Testament. There's no detail. Did y'all notice that? There was no detail. The only detail was about the special offering for the poor saints the first day of the week, lay it aside. Apart from that, there was no detail how, what amount. There was no, nothing there in Scripture related to Paul's support or whether it was to Timothy or whether it was to the ministry. There was no detail. And so what we do as a church, though, I'll tell you in just a moment, we have a compilation of what we do as a church and where this comes from. And, but before we do, I want to I pick this up. So I'm going to erase this. So we've got the tithe. We have the first fruits, which is a principle for us today about honoring God. We have the Levitical support. And, and yet at the same time, there are those in the church, I want to be honest, there are those in the church that think that all giving to the church should be benevolent. What do you mean by benevolence, Pastor? There are those that think all giving should be to help the poor, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. Did y'all know that? I've met people. 
And when you think about the offerings that Paul's talking about, he was writing about some very specific needs. But I want to, take, I want to show you something real quickly. Go to 2 Corinthians 9 with me. I want to show you something. Look at verse number 1. So I'll go ahead and put it up here. Ministering to the saints. That's what Paul said. And when you, first, when you first read this, you have the presumption of benevolent need, right? When you first read ministering to the saints, you have the perception of benevolent need, correct? What do I mean by benevolence? Benevolence are basic necessities of life, correct? Basic necessities, I can't spell it right there, we have that, absolutely, basic necessities of life. A lot's changed in the church over the last 2,000 years. We live in a time when there's a lot of organizations that help with benevolence in our communities. Some are spiritual, some are not. We have a food pantry. We are not the only food pantry in Heber Springs. We do not have a clothes, a clothes closet. We have CCCs, who if someone is poor in our community, there are resources available. And you could get some very good deals over there. Right, Judy? Judy works there. Volunteers. I went over there to get some work pants for the farm. I didn't know when I went in there that it was, it was bag day. And I could get as many britches as I could in a $2 Walmart bag. I walked out there like eight pair of britches for $2. Come on, somebody. I was shouting to Jesus. Right there with that. reason why I mention that is there's a lot of institutions and organizations that provide basic necessities in our culture. CAPCA, right, Sister Debbie? Assist. There are numerous, and then there are churches as well. But Paul said ministering to the saints. You know what? I think that what, one thing that I see this, I'm trying to help you arrive at the conclusion where you believe what we do here and the way we do it is a biblical model and you can rejoice in the way that we handle resources and the way that we create opportunity for you to be able to give and what it's used for. Ministering to the, seat, to the saints can include benevolent need. Let me tell you what it also can include. It can in include the seat you're sitting in. <laughs> All right? It can include the air that's blowing through this building right now. Because y'all been praying for it to come on and kick on, right? Right, come on, stay with me on this real quickly. Ministering to the saints. Because it takes resources for us to be able to come together. It takes a facility. Hello? A facility to be maintained. This is a 26,000 square foot building. 26,000 square foot. Our electric bill sometimes in the summer is over $2,000 a month. You think you, have, you think you have a high electric bill, right? Resources, then pastorals. Then at the same time, to minister to the saints adequately and effectively, you know what I believe you need? I believe you need this right here. I do. I'm saying it. I square my shoulders back. I believe in order to truly care about the body of Christ, Every sheep needs a shepherd. Amen. You do. Everybody does. Everybody needs somebody 
or some people that God's placed in their lives that can be a leader, a counselor, an encourager, that can be that somebody that can pray with you during the difficult seasons of their life, and you need to be totally unashamed that the resources that you're giving, you know what you're still doing? You're ministering to somebody else. Let me tell you, you came in here tonight and you say, well, Pastor, you know, how am I ministering? Did you give to buy that chair? Yes, you gave, and we bought chairs. And now somebody can come sit in this chair, and I can teach them the Word of God. And I can encourage them in the Lord. And I can create for you an opportunity to worship. I can put you in an environment where you can can embrace the presence of God. Where the glory of God. So you are ministering to the saints when you give to the local church. And we're creating something. We're creating a fellowship. Right? We're creating a fellowship. And we have vision. Correct? And we're creating a family and we have friendships, and we learn to love one another, and we pray for one another, and we encourage one another, and that would not happen if somebody didn't give to the local church. It would not happen. From your giving, from your giving, we can be benevolent. All your benevolence is not going to be here. Right? It's not going to be. You've got to be a desire to be benevolent beyond this, correct? From your giving, we have the support of leaders and pastors, correct? Right? We do. Don't be ashamed. Be grateful. Be thankful. And when you see your pastors get blessed, you know what you do? Shatakaya with them. Rejoice in the Lord. Pray for their children. Pray for their resources. Pray that they'll grow. Pray that because let me tell you, every time that you see apathy in the Old Testament, it resulted in the neglect of the house of God. And when the house of God was neglected, the people went from apathy to idolatry. Every time. But whenever you see revival in the Old Testament, then they brought their tithe, and they brought their offering, and they brought support to the ministry, and then you had preachers, and you had teachers, and you had singers, and worshipers, and doorkeepers, and the house of God was restored, and God was glorified, and when God's glorified, His glory falls on His people. And his people are blessed. Amen? Let's close with this tonight. So remember, I wanted to bring all this up because there's a stimulus in my heart to just encourage you to be convinced. So, so what do we do? So let's summarize this. Can I summarize? Can I erase this? I just kind of jumped in there with that, but I want to go ahead. So I'm ministering to the saints. You're still ministering to the saints through your faithful giving because benevolence is a part of the kingdom, but it's not all the kingdom. See, I've had folks, I'm just, when I say people, there are people, I've had people in the church that, I'm going to be honest to you, people have been in part of this church and they're not a part of it now that I have had discussions with and they just believe that they shouldn't give here because they thought that the giving should be to the poor, to the outcast, but they would come regularly and hear the word so they would receive of somebody else's giving that bought the chair that they were sitting in that was paying for the preacher that was encouraging them and was praying for them at the front, but they felt like that all resources, their resources belonged out on the streets rather than in the house of God. The Bible says, do good to all men, especially to those that are of the household of faith. So we start right here, and then we go from there, correct? I want to close with one last passage of Scripture. I'm going to watch the time because I told these guys we've got to start getting out of here a little bit earlier. I don't want to find myself be a hypocrite. 746, well, I've got to wrap it up. Deuteronomy chapter number 26. 
is a passage I want you to just kind of get down. I've talked to you about it many times before. It's the summary. It's the stimulus for why we do what we do. When I say, what do you mean why we do what we do? Israel, I won't read it now for the sake of time, but let me close with it. Israel, this final exhortation, it's dealing with the first fruits offering. This is how God said when you bring that first fruits offering. So we believe in the first fruit. We believe in the tithe. We believe in the offering. We believe in the principle, correct? We believe in the support for the church. We believe in the support for ministry. Hello? Right? We believe in benevolence. We believe in missions. Amen? Right? We believe in all that. And in Deuteronomy 26 is the passage of Scripture when Moses gave Israel the instruction. I've talked about this before. I've even preached sermons on Sunday morning. But this is when God said, when you get into the land and I blessed you, and you get ready to bring it to worship, don't give it anywhere. He said, give it at the place. The place. The place I choose for you. That's why I believe that you're giving of your tithes and offering belongs in the church that you have found fellowship in, correct? Where do I, I'm, I'm drawing it from here, Deuteronomy 20. Bring it to the place, and here's what he said. And then, I know some of you struggle with, he said, then give it to the preacher. I know some of you don't like that. He said, but give it to the preacher. Let him put it in a basket. Right? Put it in a basket. He said, and then I want you to confess before God. And you know what you're to confess? And I'm summarizing. He confessed that you were a sinner who got saved by the grace of God. And you didn't even have any resources or ability or you weren't worthy. But God found something. He drew you into himself. And he's blessed you. And he's brought you out to bring you in. And now you're where you are. You bring and you give it to God and you confess it to God. And when you confess it, you pray to heaven. As you confess, you pray. And here's what he said. And you say, God... Look down from heaven and bless your people. Now, how, do you, how many of you know that would radically change the way that we give? If every time on Sunday morning the pastor says, man, God's blessed you, bring your offering. If you came down and said, God, I am just, oh, hallelujah. I just want to thank you. I was, un, I was lost. I was a sinner. I was evil, God, but you saved me. You redeemed me. You changed me from the inside out. You're working in my life. I don't have nothing but what you give me, God, and I'm going to give you a portion of what you bless me with. It's all yours in the first place, God. I just want to celebrate you. And I lay it in the priest's hand in the basket and say, God, I'm walking away from it. It's not mine. It belongs to you. Let it be used for the glory of God. I'm going to tell you, God will bless that kind of people, and he'll bless that kind of giving. So I close tonight with saying, be convinced in your heart. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9 that you need to be convinced as you purpose in your heart of why you give. Don't, be a, don't, don't sit back in the corner afraid of the resources and the way we're handling them, but instead trust the Lord, give joyfully, and let God bless you, let God bless us, and let God bless people through us. Amen? Father, I love you. Thank you for our time together. I'm so blessed to be a part of our church family. And God, I'm so grateful, Father, to be the pastor of this congregation and the kindness that's been shown to me, my family, these other pastors over the many years that we have served together. 
And God, we say this often, but we believe the best is yet to come. And we believe that you have destined this church for great things. And we pray, Father God, that it, not only do the blessings happen, Father God, in other areas, but let it happen in our giving. God, I pray that there will be a season, a surgence, a resurgence of giving in our church that people will see the value and the need, Father, and as we do so, you'll empower us to do more than we have ever done before for the glory of God. I thank you tonight for this time. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen.